Michael Yo's got his own show. Michael Yo's got his own show. If you're looking for a place to go, the only place to go is the Yo Show. The only place to go is the Yo Show. Hey, what's up? It's Michael Yo. Welcome to the Yo Show. This is how we roll. So here's the thing. We got a new special drop in March 17th. Also, support the pod. You know, give it a subscribe, give it a like, give it a listen, give it stars, give it whatever you want to give it, but keep it moving because at least on my Facebook page, this thing has taken off. Hey, Brian, our engineer never paying attention. Brian, do you realize on my Facebook page, some of these clips are getting like two, 300,000 views now? That's great. Uh, he doesn't we're, care. We're getting Yeah, it. yeah, it was no, Brian, there like, was no great. emotion. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Brian's trying to figure shit out over there. That's why. Brian's like, look, until I get into the podcast. <laughs> making, making sure nobody's clipping this week. That's right. So I did this. I did three podcasts or two podcasts like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. We don't, Brian's to, our, we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> and Brian's the engineer. Engineer. His job is to make sure the sound and video is good. Mm-hmm. Every podcast, clip it. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. That's I, play, I love Brian. You know why I do? Even though he messed up that last time, he's been great. And uh, he I brought support, us two waters. I, I, I know, but I support people that support me at the beginning, Leo Flowers. Right. You know what I mean? You got to stick with the people that always had your back from the beginning. Because it's easy to jump on at the yeah, end. Oh, yeah. It's hard oh, to yeah. jump on at the beginning. Oh, yeah. The best piece of advice I ever got. From who? From, from uh, about the industry. Mm. Big casting director was talking Star Wars, Star Trek, all of J.J. Abrams films, basically. Mm. This woman said, nobody ever wants to be the first person, but they happily want to be the second, third, fourth, and fifth. So if you get that one person, that one opportunity, then everybody wants to jump on board. That's why it's crazy that dudes will leave their first wife. You know, they call they call it like the starter wife. I heard that term a lot of times. Oh, they're like, oh yeah, you got a starter wife, and then you know the second wife is the the, the, the hot. She's hotter, smarter. You know, she's she's wife two point or whatever. No, that's not and, true. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm talking about generally well, speaking. You know why she's hotter than your first? Why, wife. why is she hotter? Because you're gonna go way younger. Because you uh, both feel like go if you're dating a woman and you married her at 26, now she's 36. Right, but. You're both 36. You're both 36. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> now you're, you're 36, go she's 21. Yeah. You know what oh, I mean? That's, yeah. And here's the problem with What's all that. What's the problem with all that? Is, is, look, I'm a guy, and I can say this. Guys, when they get older, they get more, they don't lose. I want to say this right. because They I don't get more fit. swag. They, they can get more women. They, they become, women still yeah. like men when they get older, but not vice versa. Right. You know, and I don't want yeah, to. But that's starting to change, though. I, I know. Think. It's really, I mean, women in these yoga pants now and, uh, you know, the kale juice, whatever, uh, the little infrared saunas they going to. Oh, yeah. Women well, in their 50s. People, it's looking. I don't know if it's okay. That's enough. I don't know if it's this is for Disney Plus. Yes, I don't know if it's uh, us getting older, or is it people taking way better care of themselves? But like you're right, women do look great in their fit. Man, I went to a yoga class, and I'm not flexible at all. But my New Year's Eve resolution was to be more flexible. So I go to this yoga class. There's women 60, 70 years old. Outdo me, outdo me. like run circles around me, and I'm like. Man, these women take care of themselves. Taking care, man, and you know, and and they just they just got a wholeness 
uh, way of life because it's not just working out for most guys we just we do the gym we drink a protein shakes we get out and that's where women they got like community they have friendships they have resources they have what they call uh lateral relationships right where like most men have a hierarchical like you know boss subordinate higher ups women like they make friends my, my girlfriend michelle awesome has her friends are everybody in her life from the mailman to the her trainer to her acupuncturist like those people in my life are just people that i pay and i see for that hour those people in her life they hang out they go to dinner they they go to, they support each other outside of just the work well she's not selfish like you are that's why because I'm, I'm a very selfish person too wow michael i I feel attacked right now. No, you shouldn't because I know you. Like, we've but, known each other. But in what way am I selfish? Well, like, I would say you're very much like me. How so? Where you don't do all the supporting. <laughs> like, you don't go out of your way to support people. Like, like a mailman. Like, if you saw the mailman every day and he dropped you off, dropped the mail in your hand, and you had long conversations every day, maybe. But just a dude that you see every once in a while drop off the mail, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm going to go support you playing the drums at this club yeah because where, where your girlfriend what i was i was raised where support was transactional meaning um i'll give you money you know i see a, a person on the street give them 10 bucks uh my nieces and nephews they got to go to basketball camp boom boom i'm venmoing the money right it's all transactional where for my girlfriend is more relational it's about time spent yes. it's about hanging out and i'm like why well, we got to hang out Here, here's the money or here's the gift that, that's that's you good right you know see your relationship is very much like mine mm. i would rather like i like hanging out but i also know i don't like people which is very <laughs> hard for me you know like people are surprised that because i'm I can be, when, it, when I'm working, I can be around everybody and be fine. But when I'm yeah. not working, I don't want to be around people because my job is to be around people. And especially when I was doing red carpets and things like that, all these cameras and stuff around. It's like when I go home, I don't want to be around a lot of you people. You have to decompress. And then now my wife is making friends. So now I got to be friends with other people. And, and they're all nice. Is that exhausting for you? To, Dude, let that... me tell you something. Life is exhausting right now. I mean, two kids, five and mm. two, it's that prime age where you never stop. Like yeah. my friend told me once, if you have one kid, I mean, if you have two kids, you can have 10. And now I understand what he meant because mm. you're never stopping. Because if one's sleeping, the other one's up running around. If the other one's sleeping, it, hardly ever they're both asleep at the same time. And if they are asleep, you're worried about... You know, them are, are they okay asleep? Are they dead? Like, I don't you know, know. Like I don't know about that one like, because sometimes when they go to sleep, you just like you just crash. You crash. Mm. Like it's so I've never been, and I go to work at night too. So and I do podcasts. So I'm work. I'm living my dream, and the whole family. I've always wanted a whole family like this, and it's a dream. But now I understand when parents say it wears heavy with you. You know what I mean? It's heavy. It's heavy because you're always moving and supporting and teaching and it's a lot like when and you have some and you, and i mean it's coming from somebody like it's not i think you have support right from oh, her grandparents yeah. and oh yeah uh, you know i know you had like a sleep nurse in the beginning right sleep nurse at the beginning and it, it's still a lot right two well, kids two kids running around always wanting something now they're starting to compete 
where if my son has something, so we, now we have to buy two of everything and they have to look exactly the same or my daughter, who's two, will go after my son and try to take his stuff. You know, so, whoo. Let me ask you this. Yes. It, it, there's so much talk about, um, you, you hear about like men not really being emotional and, and, and shutting down. Mm -hmm. I find when I look at young boys, they're very emotional. And I'm like, at what point do they not, is that taken away from them? My son is more emotional than my daughter already. It, and he's very emotional. But I also wonder in the pecking order, is it because, because I was talking to my friend the other day about this. Is it because he was first born and all the attention was on him? So whenever he needed something, it was given to him. And our baby girl, there's no way that you can give the same amount of attention that he got to her because you have two. And you have to make it feel balanced. Like how I like to do it, if I if my daughter's in my lap, you know, and I'm holding her, and I'll and I'll look over at my son, and go, buddy, I love you, because I, I you constantly got to show both of them you're not favoring one, you know. So there's no way she gets all the attention like he did, because she wasn't around. So I wonder, is that why they're sensitive? And you have a psychology degree, right? I have a master's in, in counseling psychology. So yeah. is that could that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. You know, I one of the things I do uh, with Michelle, like I, you know, I grew up in this world of I love you. But what I'm started, what I started saying more recently is I love us. Because, you know, there's me, there's her, and then there's us. And I think a lot of times people forget about the relationship. The relationship is a third entity. So it's like there's you, your wife, there's a relationship between you and your wife. That's a third entity. And then there's you and the kids. And then there's a relationship that you have between. And it, it sounds like it, it's, it's more convoluted. But when you start addressing things as in us and we, then you you start to see that the competition will start to dissipate because they'll start thinking in terms of us and we. But when you when we keep things individual, you know, like we live in this world where you can have it your way and you can customize things exactly to your needs. And so you start getting into this mode of I should have everything my way. And so when it's not your way, uh, you get flustered, frustrated, upset, things like that. But when we start thinking of things collectively, where it's a us and a we, then it it's not so much about me not getting my way. It's like, is the relationship still good? Are we still good? And if you can answer yes to that, then it helps to mitigate the uh, intensity of those frustrations or, or pain and hurt. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but I also think a person wants to know you love them. And I love you needs to be in that conversation as well. Because I, agree. I love us right. is a great statement, yeah. but it's kind of like, to me, as soon as I hear it, it's more of an ego thing. Well, I'm not going to say I love you. I love us because mm -hmm. I'm involved in that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's more to me, it's more ego driven where if I go, Leo, I love you. It has nothing to do with me. It's all yes. about you. And that's why I like about that. But I understand around my kids, it might be better since they're competing. Yes. You know, I love us. So then you're never saying I love you. So great point. Yeah. So so there's you can do I love us. And then when you say, I love you, what you want to point to is the essence of them. Yes. So I'll say to Michelle, if I do say I love you, I won't just stop there. I'll say, 
I love how you love taking care of yourself. I love how you care so much for other people. So what that does is it reinforces one that you see their effort in what they're doing and who they are. And two, it allows them to uh, proliferate that, right? Because a lot of times, what we all want are three things to be seen, heard, understood. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't feel seen, heard, understood, we will find a way to get that, whether it is beneficial for us or harmful to us. Like a kid who acts out in class, he just wants to be seen because he's not getting attention at home. If you can give that to him uh, in an appropriate way, then they'll stop acting out. But you don't feel like some kids that do are just bad kids. I mean, I really believe I've, I've had, so, you know, I've substitute, I used to yeah. substitute teach mm -hmm. for LASD for a number of years. I've, when you look at behavior that is disruptive to the classroom, nine times out of 10, if uh, what I would do with that kid is before the next class, when they would come in, I would pull them outside before any behavior even started and say, hey man, um, just let me know if there's anything you need from me. Because I understand that we have a lot of challenges we don't feel safe talking to people about, and I wanna let you know I'm a resource here for you. So I'm not even talking about don't be bad, yeah. don't yell. I'm not telling them what not to do. I'm letting him know, or her know, or them know, <laughs> right? Yeah, you have to cover all of it. Multiple, yeah. That if there's something that you need, I'm a person that you can talk to. And nine times out of 10, Michael, I will see that behavior dissipate. You have to catch it beforehand. To try to, to, try to address it in the moment, it, it's, it's too, too late. late. It's too late. They're yeah. already off and running. It's, the, the train has left the station. So, like, if you if say, like, your son, uh, you know, acts up, right, in public or something like that, you know, at that point, you're just doing damage control. But you can't leave it at that. The next day or later on or like at bedtime when things have calmed down, you say, you know, you let them know, like, next time, here's what I need from you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then before you go into that situation again, you go, what do you remember what we talked about last time and have them say it to you? So the key thing is, is a lot of times when we're saying something to somebody, they're not really listening. So it's really important that when you talk to someone that you have them repeat back to you what you just said mm -hmm. and that you say it to them three times. Oh yeah. Three times. It sounds like overkill, but the first time they're in their head. Yep. The second time they're like, Oh, you talking to me? And then the third time they're actually listening. So you, we have to say things three so times. So when I meet people, should I tell them my name three times and make them repeat it? So they remember it. Uh, yeah. If, yeah. Uh, on some What's level. My What's yeah. my name? What's my What's name? name? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, people say that. So like even in psychology, they'll say when you meet somebody, try to say their name uh, at least three to seven times so that you remember it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and you can do that with so many other memory tricks. So a lot of times we, you know, cause you may have grown up in a household where your parents were like, don't make me say it again. And it's like, psychologically, you absolutely need to say it again. Okay. okay. That's why commercials, say you know, the same thing right, you don't see the commercial once you see it 10 times, you know, you're looking at Super Bowl ads, you know? Yeah. Speaking about Super Bowl, did your team win? Were you, 
You didn't care about it? So I'm a, I'm from Chicago, huge Bears fan. Oh yeah. And uh but I was rooting for Joe Burrow. I just love the story. Joe Montana. I love Joe, it. Joe uh I forget who the other Joe was, but um Joe Namath. But Joe Namath. So he would have been the third Joe. And I just like Cincinnati, that grit, you know, they're from the Midwest. It's blue collar. Yeah. And uh, I was so I was all too. for it. But I, I at the end of the day I was just rooting for a good game. I was like, please God, don't let this be fifty to three. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was a great game. It was a good game. <laughs> so so now you're at the comedy cellar. Yeah. Um so what, what where are you at in comedy now? What are you working on? How do you feel about it? You know, like because comedy, it's a grind, man. It's a grind. You know, I'm excited about it because uh, um, you know, I started off in comedy being more social, political, talking about guns and immigration and things that are happening in the world. And then when the pandemic hit and I was doing these Zoom comedy shows, it felt weird talking about these hot button issues in people's homes. Mm-hmm. I, in real life, would never do that. On stage, I, I, I Well, they're coming okay. to a show, yeah. Yeah, but on Zoom, I'm, people are on their couches, they're like petting their cat, <laughs> and I'm like, guns, you know, like, whoa. Like, it just felt too aggressive. And so I was like, I gotta, just gotta, I gotta be more personal. There's too much going on in my inner world right now between the Black Lives Matter movement that was taking place and, uh, but you know, I have three sisters that I'm, I'm connecting with. And, I, I, you know, in the past year, Michael, I don't know if I told you, I was diagnosed with asthma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I was having a heart attack on a hike and it turned out to be an asthma attack. So I'm 40, I'll be 46 this year. So to be diagnosed with asthma at this point was like insane to me. And then uh, sleep apnea, which is like when you start breathing in your sleep. And so, you know, two major health issues that I've had to address. And I realize so many other people are going through that. And so why not talk about that on stage versus well, what's going on in Russia, Ukraine? Like who? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I always feel like, you know me, ever since I started, my comedy is very personal. Yeah. You know, where I was told. When I first started, well, what happens if nobody likes you in your story? Mm. I go, well, then they're not going to like me because that's what I started with. And it's interesting to see. I also know there's way better political comedians than me. That's all they write and that's all they do. They'll see a news story that day. They'll have a new joke. And I found out very quickly. That's not my thing. Mm. You know, like. Nelly came out with a video of a girl giving him a BJ. And I would love to be the comic where I could go on stage that night and have a joke for it. I'm not that guy. You know, it's just not me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where you have a Sam Morell, Mark Norman, different com- comics like that can have a hundred jokes that are kind of late night writers. But I've come, I've come to a very uh, good place in my and my stand-up where it's like, okay, that's not me. I'm not going to even attempt to be that mm-hmm. because it's, it doesn't even feel right to me. So if nothing happens in my real life, I just don't write. Yeah, it, it, you know, and there's, and I'm just like, there's so much happening in my real life where I'm like, how can I not write about this? And, um, you know, my mom had COVID and, you know, my girlfriend is is Jewish and Russian and and that's been a whole experience of like, learning about her culture and, and their ways and, and meeting her mom and her dad for the first time. And now, are her parents Jewish? Her parents are Jewish. So now this is a question I have. Mm-hmm. And I ask Mark uh, Cohen all the time about this. Mm-hmm. So with some Jewish people I talk to, they don't live the culture, but they, 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 I guess, serve the religion. They're part of the religion, but they don't live in that culture. Like they don't follow all the rules of it. Where some people say, no, 
Jewish, being Jewish is a culture, it's not a religion. It's who we are. You know, so where does your girlfriend's family stand on it and her? Uh, well, they, def they definitely identify as Jewish. She's Ashkenazi Jewish. Okay. And, but they don't, you know, strictly observe all of the different ceremonies and traditions, right? So, uh, but they, they, they definitely identify and, and talk about it, but they're not, you know, they're not doing, um, I, I forget what the Friday worship, uh, what their, their Friday tradition is, the Shabbat, I believe it's called. Uh, and then they have these other traditions that I don't think Michelle so and her family honors. So then how's that going to work out for you in the long run? Because, How so? because I hear like they really promote marrying other Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Now, are you going to convert? You know, I, we're not at that place yet. We okay. haven't had that conversation. It, it's, it's never been uh, something that's brought up between Michelle and I or, or, or even her parents or even my parents. Um, How's that not brought up? Because it's such a big, like, issue for that uh, culture. Well, I, you know, there's what what's an issue for the culture, and then there's what's an issue for the individual. That's true. Right? That's true. And so I think, it, you know, individually speaking, that may be something that might come up down the road. Who knows? Uh, I'm open to it. Um, I'm willing to hear what that even looks. I know Sammy Davis Jr. Yep. converted. And Lenny I know Kravitz there's, there's a, a few other who uh, converted. And I've always, there are parts of the Jewish culture that I've always admired. Like? Uh, like, so I used to substitute at Jewish schools also. And for some reason, the Jewish schools uh, always uh, requested me. And they're taught to question everything, right? Like, you know, I grew up, uh, I was baptized Methodist and, you know, black people, you do as you told. Yeah. Where in the Jewish community, um, you're taught to question even authority. Like, like you're taught that everyone is on the same level as you are. Not that anyone is above you or below you. We're all the same. So you can ask, if you're a five-year-old, you can ask a question to a 30-year-old, like they're, like your, your peers. The same level. Right. Yeah. And so I like that, that idea because, you know, I, I think that a lot of, um, uh, a lot of evil has been done because people have been afraid to question or speak up because they've kind of had that taken out of them from mm -hmm. a young age. And I, so I think that there's something about questioning authority that is effective to an extent. At some point, there's you, you do, you know, have to like, you know, go along with the status quo. But then you need these people who are going to be rogue ants and say, hold on, this doesn't sound right. Why are we doing this? What's the meaning of all this? Um, you know, just to keep <clears throat> everything balanced. So I really love that. And, and also love the, their sense of humor. You know, I, I grew up on a lot of, uh, you know, I grew up on Sanford and son, Oh yeah, my favorite show. And one of the cool things about that show is that there was a point where, uh, uh, Sanford, I forget Red who, Fox, Red Fox yep. was like bringing some black writers. He was like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, some black writers. And then they brought in black writers. And then like after an episode, he's like, bring back my Jewish writers, <laughs> yeah. bring them back. And so we had, you know, this is, this was a show I grew up on. I remember like being nine years old and my mom would send me to bed and the show I think came on at like maybe nine or 10 o'clock and my bedtime was eight and I would stay up a little late and I had a TV in my room and I would plug in headphones so I can listen to it. And I couldn't really laugh out loud because I didn't want my mom to hear. But to, to look back and realize that that was the show 
that made me laugh so hard throughout my childhood. And then to find out that the writers were all Jewish and then, you know, to find out there's, you know, they, that they are, there's so many of them in Hollywood oh, yeah. and, and in comedy. So I was just like, yeah, we are. And Seinfeld was one of my, my favorite comedians uh, growing up. So I was like, we're aligned uh, in terms of our humor. So if you could, if you could have dinner, with a comedian, living or dead, who would that be with? Wow. And uh, just pick D- their brain. Dick Gregory. And why? I have to go with Dick Gregory. Because uh, Dick Gregory embodied a lot of things that um, that that I, I'm aspiring to. One, he was, he was outspoken um, about things that were going on in uh, the world and with himself. You know, he made the political personal and the personal political. And, and there's such an art to that, to that uh, without dividing the room and without losing people that I found that uh, I felt like he was able to do. Uh, the second part is, you know, he was all about um, health and wellness as he saw it. You know, he lived to be a, a great age. And so to come up as a stand-up comedian at the time that he did and to have the longevity and relevance up until the day that he died that he did um i love the fact that he, he he didn't burn out it wasn't he wasn't a guy who was you know doing a thing for 10 years and he never heard from him he was constantly a part of the zeitgeist um and then the third part was what he if you listen to his albums today it's still relevant. Mm-hmm. It still holds, even though they were, like I said, they had a, a political slant. Um, his his, you wrote books. His books were fascinating. I remember just sitting in, in Barnes and Noble, and and reading his books and uh, and and really connecting with the material and feeling like um, uh, that there was. It made me excited to learn more, you know. Uh, and and that's, that's how I grew up. My mom have, has only emphasized two things in my household, in our household was to learn and to earn. She's like, when you wake up every day, you're doing one, if not both of those two things, mm-hmm. learning and earning. So I love that because it wasn't so much about some parents are like you're going to go to college or you're going to you're going to go to Stanford. And my mom was like, I don't care where you go as long as you're learning and earning. And so that really opens up a, a, a possibility of what you can do versus, you know, uh, having a narrow scope for your child and, and trying to box them into this one specific thing. Um, it, 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 I, I'm really grateful. What would be the first question you ask him then? You know what? I don't know if I, if there would be a, a question that I would ask him. Um, what question would I ask Dick Gregory? Um, I'd probably ask him like, you know, what got him out of bed this morning? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that because, you know, I, I and I've shared this with you, you know, I've struggled with depression for, uh, um, uh, chronically for, for most of my life. And, and part of that I'm finding out was related to sleep apnea because with sleep apnea, you're never getting deep REM sleep. And so you're kind of just walking around like a zombie. I remember just sleeping all the, any opportunity I had, I played sports, but as soon as I got back home, I would just immediately crash. At any moment I could sleep, I would sleep. And I'm finding out more of that was related to my sleep issues. Um, so I'm, I'm always fascinated by what gets people out of bed in the morning. Some people will say their kids, mm-hmm. they'll say their wife, the, the, the garbage truck, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, a sciatica, something, you know, I got to pee. 
But um, I'm always fascinated by, you know, because you don't have to get out of bed. You can stay in bed. It's so comfortable. So why, why get out? Why, why leave this comfort zone? What's getting you out of bed in the morning? And I'm fascinated by that question. Um, and uh, and, and I, I love to hear how people uh, respond to it, you know. Mm, is yeah. it internal or is it external? Oh, yeah. Kids waking you up. That's what gets me out of bed. But no, I've always been early. Right? I love getting out of bed. I early. love getting out of and bed And watch early. my kids, like my son is like me. Literally, I can wake him up. He jumps up and go. My daughter takes her time like my wife. You cannot wake my wife up. Like, it's she's a slow rise. You know what I mean? Like, but my son, I'll be like, hey, dude, we got to go to school. Okay. And he's up. He's just like me. But my, my daughter, man, you're going to have problems for a good 15, 20 minutes to get her up. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how they change too, right? Because, oh, yeah. um, you know, the, the sleep patterns, I'm sure you've seen like huge differences in the sleep patterns. And, uh, but that's cool that, you know, you and your son had the same sleep pattern and then the wife and the daughter. And that's daughter. what's so weird. My son looks like me and my yeah. daughter. And it's <laughs> like they took everything from both of us. You know, um, if you could go back in comedy, just your stand-up career, or maybe just three, four years ago, would you have changed something and been better at it? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is I would have watched more film or, or listened to more of my sets. That's, you know, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And I remember in college feeling like I would have been not a great player. I would have never been a great player, but I would have been a better player if I had come in and watched the film, yeah. you know, um, and, 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 and because it gives you a chance to, uh, improve your muscle memory, improve your response and reaction time on the field. You can see things a lot faster before they even happen. When you study the game film, not only of the, the game you played, but the opponents you're about to play. And the coach would always emphasize that. And it was optional. And I remember looking back being like, man, I would have made that play had I watched the game film. And now as a comedian, um, you know, I've gotten more lax at this point with listening to my sets. And I, and I realized I'd be so much sharper, so much quicker if I would take that time to listen. But that's where journaling comes in. A lot of, you know, that's why I started journaling because when you're able to reflect on your day or your week or your year, my birthday's coming up March 18th, and you get to look at your year then you start to catch patterns faster, things that are working for you and things that are working against you. And then you can kind of course correct a lot sooner before it spirals into some type of calamity or, or catastrophe. So yeah, I would definitely say, uh, you know, reviewing the, 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 the footage. You're the one that told me to um, audible that Will Smith book, which yes. I thought was great. Mm -hmm. And before my special, I actually did the 20 minutes with the lights off and just watched my film of my special to know the beats. And I did it every day for about the week going in. And man, when I came out, it just, it's so amazing once you focus in on something for 20 minutes and put it on repeat. Like I do my scripts like that. I do everything like that. And I absorb so much faster because you can be in a room, but it's hard to turn off and just focus on one thing for 20 minutes. I mean, that's the challenge, especially with alerts going off, kids running in. It's really hard to zone out. And where I never, before all the social media and the phones, it was easier. Mm -hmm. It was still hard, but it was easier because you didn't have all these distractions. But I will say, 
when I zoned out for that week going in, I've never felt more confident. I remember the feeling of my first special, how nervous I was. Mm. And this one, it was just like, oh, I'm doing any other show. It was so comfortable. It was so, yeah. So it's a thing where, you know, we grow and learn. And I, I never journal because I hate writing. I just hate writing. Yeah, you're, well, you're, you're a talker. You're more, yeah. you're more verbal. So sometimes I'll do a talk to text for my journal. Yeah. I don't always oh, write. Okay. Sometimes I do the talk to text and I won't even read it. It's just the, the act of talking to text allows me to free up mental space or get gotcha. some clarity on a thing. And then I just, because a lot of times it, it won't even transcribe correctly. Yeah. So just hearing myself say it out loud, I'm like, oh, there it is. That's what I needed. You know, got you. So yeah. now what you got coming up next? You on tour? You got a website? What's up, Leo? Fly. Now, we didn't get into a lot of comedy this time because I like to keep these short. But I love that we talked about real stuff. And maybe you can come back and we can talk like just straight up comedy. next. Uh, you know, the biggest thing for me with this pan, you know, a life coach and life coaching for me is exploding. Like I have probably like I've tripled my clients. So right you got now. three now. <laughs> right, <laughs> and uh, and and it's, it's it's beautiful to to take all these concepts and things that I've learned uh, about life and health and wellness, and then to be able to share it with people and 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 improve and impact lives like that. So, right now it's uh, you know I'm opening for Hassan Minhaj in oh, yeah. San Diego nice. in April, April twentieth. He'll be him. at the the Muncie, it's Muncie, the San Diego Civic theater uh so get your tickets How'd to you that get that gig time yeah time i so you know i've known hassan um from when we both started out in stand-up around the same time and um and then i, I was actually personal training hassan minhaj wow. for about a year i personal trained him right up until he got the daily show and had to move to new york I remember being like the lady was like, I, I think this might be our last session because I think I'm about to get to this, this daily show. And sure enough, and that's what happened. And then um, uh, and then I, he came back to San Diego a few like six months ago to workshop his, his new hour. And uh, I reached out to him and asked if I could open. And he said, absolutely. And then he's coming back again to to officially do it. And uh, and he's going to let me up. So. That that it's was beautiful. a 20-year relationship in the making. And, and so I think it's, it's like a 4,000-seater. It would be nice. the most people I've ever performed in front of. So uh, I'm excited about that. And then going back to Alaska to do some shows, too. So and that'll that, be fun. And that's the thing is, that's where I think I, 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 since I started comedy so late, I don't have those relationships because I didn't mm. even live in L.A. Mm. You know, that's the one thing I miss. Like, mm. I didn't come up with anybody. I just kind of came up, you know, and now I'm finding friends on the way. Mm -hmm. You know, but 10 years from now, it'll be like that. But it's just right now, it's kind of like, you know, I know I, I know a lot of comedians, but I don't know a lot of comedians. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I know a lot of comedians, but I don't know their numbers. You know, and vice versa, you know, but if I hit them up, I feel like they would support me if I needed something. It's one of those things. So that's one thing. If I could go back, I would do two things. If I could go back and tell myself something 10 years ago or five years ago, it would be first thing, start a podcast. And mm. the biggest mistake I ever made was I forgot the guy's name, but he owned a huge podcast company. Um, he hosts The Wall 
he's like a nerd radio guy. But anyway, he said, start a podcast. And I looked at him and go, I'm on real radio. I'm not going to say this is how stupid I was. I'm on real radio. I ain't going to do no podcast. And he goes, I think it's going to be big. He's like, yeah, yeah, you do that little podcast thing, all right? And this was like 10, 11 years ago. The second thing, I think there's three mistakes. Me and Joe Coy had a podcast that was doing like 200,000 downloads. It was so big at the time. We weren't even getting paid. We were just doing it for fun, right? And then, and then, then we couldn't make it work, right? We could, because he would be on tour. Oh, scheduling. Would, scheduling. We couldn't make it work. So then I was like, you know what? Forget it, man. It's tough. So if we would have kept it going, it could have been, it, I, I tell people, we were doing 200,000 downloads back then, eight, nine years ago. It would have been massive. And the other thing I would have told myself is be, be aggressive in social media like 10 years when it first came out. Mm. But I still, I'm trying, but it's still not my jam. You know what I mean? It's it's not, you know what? I, I, I realize not I'm not. Uh, I'm not I, that dude. I got. I'm not. I'm just not going. I can't do it. It's not me. And it, it takes more away from me than it gives to yes. me. Yes. And unless I can find somebody who can um, just do it for me, um, like completely and, and like and really build it. Um, I'm not, I can't, I can't making one video and go, you got to do it every day. Like, it's a job. It's like a job. Like, to hear and yeah. Tony Baker and all those cats, man, Kevin said, they do it. Like, they got a studio. They got a they system. Do it yeah, they got they, everything. They got yeah. people. Yes. You know, like, it's a job. It's a job. Well, Leo Flowers, thank you so much for popping by. Thanks bro. for having me, Michael. This yeah, is man. awesome. Yeah, man. Oh, one last thing. Let's see if we got time. Tell me about your first time you performed in front of Estee or at the cellar in New York. The first time I performed in front of Esty, wow, uh, it was at the Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa, California. Um, I remember Richard, uh, who was the manager of the Comedy Magic Club. Love Richard. And, uh, and he pulled me to the side and he's like, um, he's like, uh, Esty's here. And I was like, like comedy seller, like New York Esty? He was like, yeah, and she's looking for comics. And um, he was like, so do what you're going to do based off that. <laughs> and I remember, and it, so. Did you see her? Did you walk by I didn't before? see her because she, she didn't come back stage. She was an audience. She didn't tell anybody she was there. So, you know, um, and, and what's great about, and I, you know, this is part, part of, I think, why, you know, we bonded for so long is I remember you posting a clip of, uh, of Gladiator on, uh, from Gladiator on your social media, which is one of my favorite movies, because there's a scene in there right before he's about to go out into the arena. Um, uh, you know, I think it was Russell Crowe. Yep. He goes, I'm going to kill this guy in like three seconds. And, it, and his, his manager goes, no, no, no. If you kill him too quickly, the crowd will boo. Yes. And then the king will have to kill you. And um, he goes, take your time. Make it a, a spectacle. That way, when you kill him, the crowd will feel like... Um, uh, that they, they, they got the money's worth. Yeah. He goes, if the crowd loves you, then the king can't kill you. Yes. I remember right. that. Yes. And so when, so when he was the king, so huh? Esty was the king and I go, okay, I can't play to Esty. I got to play to the crowd. If the crowd loves me, she'll have to let me in. Yeah. And so I went out there and you've heard my grapes bit. Yeah. I, I just did the grapes bit and crushed. And as soon as I got off stage, you know, I'm like, man, you know, you, you, there's you one thing it. to crush, 
but you still don't know how they're going to receive it as the booker. And so uh, Richard goes, I need you to come with me. And I go, dang, man, I ain't, the way he said it, I yeah. was like, ah, he was just walking me off the building. So you this know? is right when you got off this stage. This is right up when I got off stage. Okay. And Esty was at the end of the hallway. And, and you know, and I'm, I've am i heard things about it, and I'm terrified. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm six, one and a half, but in my head, she is like 12, 12, yeah. you know? And, uh, and, and I walk up to her and she goes, hi, my name is Esty. Uh, I have this club in New York called the Comedy. <laughs> She's very humble. Yeah. I have this club called uh, the Comedy Cell, but we're opening one in Vegas. I don't know if I would like to invite you to please perform at that club. She was ready, and I was just like, my head was like, what? I want to be like, hell yeah. I want to yeah. pick her up and spin around. Right. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. And I shook her <laughs> hand and walked away. But man, I was clicking my heels, man. Oh, I was yeah. like a little schoolgirl, son. So. Uh, thank you so much, SD and, and Richard. You yes, know, that Richard club, got me in. Richard got me in too. Club that club, man. There was there was man a good that that club for about two years probably helped me pay rent. There you go. So thank you, Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa, yes. which is now stand up comedy in El. Oh. oh, Richard runs the new. Spot. Yeah, he runs a new stand up comedy club, and I forget where it's located. Oh, man, I heard it's, it's, a great room. it's a great. It's a great room. All right, Leo. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you, brother. All right, make sure you subscribe, star it, uh, leave a comment, all that stuff. All that. Do it. March 15th, my special, I Never Thought Drops. Make sure you check that out, too. All right? See ya.